Good evening. Our passage this night is from Luke 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on your people this evening, that we might hear our Father's voice, that we might know his love. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, good evening. It is a great honor and joy to be with you all today. As you heard, I'm the new rector of Holy Comforter, only been in town a month, still unpacking all those boxes. And uh, before I go any further, I should probably reassure you about one thing, and that is I actually am old enough to have my driver's license. <laughs> but seriously, I do want to thank Reverend Mizell and uh, um, Pastor Marion, for their warm welcome this first month here in town. Uh, Stuart called me just a few days after I accepted the call uh, to Holy Comforter, and he was just incredibly encouraging. I was kind of a deer in the headlights, and he was so encouraging. He prayed for me. It was such a blessing, and I want to thank Pastor Marion as well for his uh, warm and generous welcome at our last uh, joint service around Thanksgiving I felt so honored and cared for, so thank you very much. And I look forward to getting to know all of you better uh, in the years ahead. 
So this evening, I'd like to talk with you about two things, music and babies. Who doesn't like music and babies? They're both these mysterious and miraculous gifts, and they touch our hearts like almost nothing else. Music especially has a tremendous uh, capacity to arouse uh, longings and hopes. Bruce Springsteen, the boss, he once said this. He said, a great band searches for the same kind of combustible force that fueled the expansion of the universe after the Big Bang. They want the earth to shake and spit fire. They want the sky to split apart and for God to pour out. It's embarrassing to want so much and expect so much from music, except sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens. The sky splits apart and God is there. Mary's Magnificat is one of those moments where it happens, where God is revealed in song. You remember the context. The Virgin Mary has been told by the angel Gabriel she'll give birth to the Savior. Mary humbly accepts this calling, saying, let it be to me according to your word. She then goes on this journey of about 100 miles to visit her relative Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. And as these two uh, pregnant women greet one another, something extraordinary happens. We read that Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. Now, my wife, uh, who is here with us tonight, is also pregnant with our fourth child. And I've always found that one of the wildest things about pregnancy is feeling the baby move under your hand. It still gives me goosebumps. It's like a little baby seal swimming from one side of the tank to the other. If you've been to the Columbia Zoo, you've, you've seen it. But here with Elizabeth's baby, this is no ordinary leap. Because at this very moment, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cries out in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now this baby's leap is no ordinary leap. It's a leap of joy in the presence of the Savior. And with it, John the Baptist becomes the youngest prophet in history, pointing to Jesus before he's even born. Isn't it amazing that babies still in the womb have the capacity to know God and to proclaim him with joy? As the psalmist foretold, out of the mouths of babes you have ordained praise. And of course, this should be our natural response to Jesus. Rejoicing, not analyzing, not brooding, not questioning, but rejoicing. Next week, we'll hear the story of the angels bringing tidings of great joy. 
And then we'll hear of those wise men seeing the star over Bethlehem and rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Yes, joy is in the air, and it's this joy that leads Mary to burst into song, perhaps the most famous song in the history of our world. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul enlarges, amplifies, projects the Lord so that all may see and know him. Mary wants others to see what she sees and to know what she knows. And what is it that Mary sees? Well, she proclaims it boldly in this song. And it's really two things that we're going to look at tonight. Two things. First, what God has done for her. And then number two, what God has done for others, for those around her. You see, the first half of the song is in the singular, and the second half of the song is in the plural. So first, what God has done for Mary. Verse 48. God has looked on the humble estate of his servant, Mary sings. The God of the universe has taken notice of this peasant girl. And this is staggering. This completely defies all of those enlightened religions which say God has better things to do than meddle in the affairs of human beings. Now this God takes notice and he cares about the lowly. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, he's Emmanuel, God with us. A couple years ago, I spent some time in some rural towns in India. And I mean India, not Indiana. And I have to tell you, there's rural, and then there's rural. You know, backcountry Minnesota, where I grew up, I had a rusty old pickup truck to get me around, and the nearest stoplight was 10 miles away. But let me tell you, backcountry in India, and you're plowing with oxen, you're washing your clothes in a dirty pond. And India rural would have been Mary's context in Nazareth, subsistence and poverty. But God comes to Mary. God comes to Mary. In fact, earlier in chapter 1, God sent the archangel Gabriel, basically one of the five-star generals of the heavenly host. You know, Gabriel had only appeared to two other people in all of recorded human history. Once to the prophet Daniel in Babylon, once to the priest Zechariah in Jerusalem, but never had Gabriel made himself known in a rural backwater like Nazareth, and never to a poor, uneducated peasant girl. This is staggering. And not only does God take notice of Mary, but he pours out his grace upon her. He who is mighty has done great things for me. He chooses her to bear his greatest gift. He blesses this ordinary person in an extraordinary way. And again, isn't this what our God does throughout Scripture? You know, God chooses a nomad, nobody, Abraham, and he makes him the father of nations. He chooses a stuttering coward, Moses, 
and he makes him the great deliverer. He chooses a lowly shepherd boy, David, and he makes him the father of kings. And he takes a peasant girl, and he makes her the mother of his son. And so again, the first half of Mary's song is all about her personal experience of God's grace. But thankfully, in verse 50, Mary expands the song to include all of us. We can all join in. How has God done great things for you, for me? Yes, this song is ultimately a song for all of God's people. And this is where Mary goes now in verse 50, celebrating what God has done for others. And again, we see how God delights to bless ordinary people. Mary continues singing of the humble being exalted and the hungry being fed. But there's a new dimension here as well. Not only does God lift up the humble, but he also overthrows the proud, the powerful, and the rich. Mary sings of how God has scattered the proud, has brought down the mighty, and the rich he sent away empty. And of course, we see this uh, throughout Scripture. Pharaoh's army destroyed at the Red Sea. Goliath struck down by the shepherd boy. The humbling of Nebuchadnezzar and the empires of Assyria and Babylon. And of course, we will see it in that child born in a manger who will be more famous than all the Caesars of Rome. And still today, it's remarkable to see how many of uh, the dictators of the 20th century died in pathetic, ignominious ways. Hitler, Mussolini, Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, etc. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones once noted this. He said, Let any man arise and say he is going to govern, to be the God of the whole world. You need not be afraid. He will be put down. Every dictator has gone down. They all do. Finally, the devil and all that belong to him will go down to the lake of fire and will be destroyed forever. The Son of God has come into the world to do just that. And yet Mary's song is not just a warning to dictators, it's also a warning to us, any who would exalt themselves. You know, we may not aspire to the rule of nations, some of you might, um, but are we not tempted to more domestic forms of arrogance? Jane Austen, in her novel Persuasion, she has a striking passage where she describes this kind of conventional pride. She writes of Sir Walter Elliot, a proud man with a habit of judging the appearances of women. Austin writes of Sir Walter, he had frequently observed as he walked that one beautiful woman's face would be followed by 30 or 35 frights. And once, as he'd stood in a shop, he had counted 87 women go by, one after another, without there being a tolerable face among them. Now, this may be an exaggerated form of pride, but I wonder if things like social media are not an incredible temptation for self-inflation and the harsh 
judgments of others. It's all around us. And yet the sobering truth is that even if we did achieve our most inflated dreams, if our dreams do not involve the Lord, they will ultimately turn to ashes in our mouths, and He will send us away empty, like the rich young ruler. I'm reminded of the sad words of Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen. He said, You can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of dollars, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. My friends, let me suggest that at the the end of the day, we don't just need the earth to shake and spit fire, the sky to split, and for God to appear. We ultimately need Him to save us. We need Him to rescue us. We need that loving, ongoing relationship. And this is where Mary is driving her song, because the blessing that Mary celebrates are not kind of generic uh, blessings out there for anyone, but no, they're profoundly relational, personal. Because, of course, all of the blessings she describes are focused on the baby in her womb. These blessings orbit around his center of gravity. One of the amazing things Mary does in her song is to quote or reference 11 different books of the Old Testament. And so you might ask the question, how did Mary do this? How did this teenage mom know so much scripture? And the obvious answer is that Mary had been instructed in the Word of God. She'd heard it proclaimed. She'd heard it sung. You see, the people of Israel loved to sing. And Mary's song echoes other songs, like the Psalms, Hannah's song, and the song of Miriam. And this should encourage us, as parents and grandparents, to sing to our children and our grandchildren, to impress their hearts with the Word of God. This was brought home to me about four years ago when my grandmother died. I spent a week at her bedside in Iowa, one of the hardest weeks of my life. But the thing that brought, really the only thing that brought peace and comfort to us was when my family gathered around her bed and sang the great hymns of the church telling out the salvation that Christ has won for us. And it led me to ask the question, what are the songs I want my children to sing one day when I lie dying? And since then, I've been singing hymns with my boys before bed. Amazing grace, a mighty fortress, it is well with my soul. You know, even Jesus sang as he faced death. Did you know that? Did you know that? Do you know the very last thing he did before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible tells us he sang a hymn with his disciples because there is power in singing of the salvation of God. It's what the angels are doing right now around God's throne. 
Now, Mary doesn't sing to show off her Bible knowledge. She sings out of the joyful wonder that her son is the fulfillment of the ages, the fulfillment of all that was to come, all the miracles, all the drama, all the prophecies of Scripture. They ultimately point to him. It's Jesus is the seed of Adam who will crush Satan under his heel. Jesus is Noah who will save his people from judgment. Jesus is Isaac who bears the wood of sacrifice up the mountain. He's the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement bearing our sins outside of the camp. He's the Passover lamb by whose blood we are saved. He's the manna from heaven, the living water, the great I am of the burning bush. He's Isaiah's suffering servant. He's Zechariah's king riding on a donkey. He's the great shepherd Micah said would be born in Bethlehem, as we just heard. He's David's rejected stone that has become the cornerstone. He's the one Daniel saw in a vision like the Son of Man who would be given dominion and honor. Ultimately, he's Isaiah's light light of the world dawning on those dwelling in darkness, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. My friends, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you leap like John the Baptist when you hear his name? Do you sing with Mary, magnifying God for what he has done? My friends, Christians are not, musicians are not. We all yearn for the sky to split open and for God to appear. And Christmas is the celebration of just that, the day it actually happened. The the star in the sky, the anthems of angels, the light of the world breaking in. The King has arrived, my friends. He is here. Come, let us adore Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us tonight. And we do tell out, Lord, the great and mighty things that You have done for us. Thank You for sending Your Son. Lord, thank You for knowing us intimately. Thank You for standing at the door and knocking desiring to come into our lives. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us here that we would swing wide those doors more widely than ever before, that we would welcome you in more deeply, and that we would know the great joy that Mary knew that all would be well, that all would be well, that all manner of things would be well because you are seated on the throne and you came to save us and make us your own forever and ever and ever. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.